Welcome to the Animation Podcast, an official podcast of Filmbook. The Animation Podcast is a weekly animation news podcast that reports on the latest animation movie and TV show news. Hello, 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 internet dwellers, ladies and germs, people, places, and things, anybody out there listening, this is the Animation Podcast. This is going to be a big episode, folks. Um, I've got great, I've got some big, you know, big news to talk about, trailers, we got a lot of trailers, we got some, um, we got some uh, great reviews at the end of the day, and then I've got a little announcement that I'm going to throw your way at the end of it, but uh, enough about me, we're going to go right into it because we've got so much fun <laughs> in store for you. Welcome everyone to the Animation Podcast, a weekly podcast about all things animation brought to you by Filmbook. My name is Ephraim Bernie. If you are tuning into the Animation Podcast for the first time, what I do on this podcast is discuss the current week's animation news. You can find more of the Animation Podcast episodes on filmbook that's film-book.com by using the search term the animation podcast as you might have guessed if you are listening to this podcast on itunes or another podcasting service please rate and review this episode if you are listening to this podcast on youtube please like our video subscribe and consider becoming one of our patrons on patreon at patreon.com forward slash filmbook your support helps us create even more engaging content this episode's going to be a little off the cuff, off the cuff today, gang. Um, I don't have as much written down and prepared as I normally like to, but I have a lot of news, so we're going to go over that. Um, in big top news, big top like the circus, um, the Annie Awards are going virtual. Uh, if you remember last time, they were also virtual last year, 2021, and yet again, because of the surge with Omicron and COVID and all other variants, we are yet again seeing it go virtual, and... This is the big one. They're moving it to March 12th. It used to be at the, I, I have right here, it was formally at February 26th. They have moved it back about a week and a half, about two weeks maybe, a week and a half. Um, it's still at 7 p.m. for you, and it's still going to be on their website for you to watch it. But because the Oscars is only, I think, maybe two weeks after that, what we usually like to see is that the Annie's would predict people and get a little bit of sway in pointing people in directions of movies that they might want to vote for when they come to the Academy. But because the Annie Awards has been pushed back, I would say that it's unlikely we're going to get any kind of fallout from them into the Oscars. They're going to be pretty independent, independent of each other, which is sad to see because... At least with the Annie Awards, you might see some, you know, you might see some push for something like Flea or uh, Belle or My Sunny Mod, um, just because they have, um, they have their independent award category. And that would m maybe push more people in the Academy to watch those. They all have to, but um, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I don't trust Academy voters, <laughs> as, as I'm sure many of you might not, after years of being neglected. Ah, uh, I'm crying. Um, but yes, so if you want to watch the Annie Awards this year, they will be streaming. They will be on their website. It's March 12th at 7 p.m. Pacific time. I like the Annie's because they really feels like it gives animation the proper, like, respect and 
exploration that it deserves each year, right? Like we, it, a lot of the times you get, you get one animated movie or one thing that you're talking about in other categories and award ceremonies, but this time around you have indie versus, you know, kind of big feature, and then you have best voice actor and best effects. I just, I don't know. I really appreciate that they do that. I like the Annie Awards. I like that they really give animation not just, like, the proper respect or whatever, because, you know, we talk about that, but that they really get to explore different kinds of animation. I think it's cool that they have uh, uh, categories for effects and that they divide it by indie versus, like, big time. I think other award ceremonies, like the Oscars and the Emmys and the Golden Globes, could do themselves a favor by maybe reevaluating and changing up some... They don't need to add more animation, but kind of dividing things up in a similar pattern, I think, is really interesting. Indie versus big time, you know, features, blockbusters. I think that's... Kind Kind of an interesting thing. I think indies sh- should have their own ability to shine. I mean, everybody should have their own ability. I, it would make the show a lot longer, but I would appreciate it. But I know you're not here for what I would appreciate. Here. What you're here for is what I know. And what I know is that Netflix gave us the Cuphead show trailer and teaser images, and it is so good, guys. I have been a Cuphead fan God, since, like, before the game came out, when I was just seeing promotional images, I thought it looked so cool. And that we're getting a show in that world with those characters, I think it is gonna be great. And I was even more excited when I saw uh, Dave Wasson was coming on board. He's the guy from, um... He kind of reinvented the Mickey Mouse shorts, and I thought, that's perfect. That's what these should look like. And from the trailer, because we've seen hints and bits and bobbles of the of the show, but this is a trailer, and it looks really, really fun. It's totally got the style of the show and that rubber hose and that wacky kind of 19, 1920s, 30s, 40s um, hijinks-esque from animation that, you, you know, you miss. You got a little taste of that in those Mickey Mouse shorts. Um, but the big thing, I think, which is something that I, it was always what I missed from the game, of course they weren't going to have it, but it's the voice acting, that these characters now have distinct voices, and the cast, what they, with True Valentino as Cuphead, and Frank Todaro as Mugman, Johanna as, uh, as Kettle, uh, Luke Millington Drake is, is, is looking really, really fun as the devil, um, Greg Griffin is going to be Miss Chalice, and Wayne Brady is King Nut Dice, but it's not just that, they've got so many characters that are going to be brought to life by these voices, and the voices are going to be so much fun, it's not just your typical, like, <laughs> I hate to compare it to, but it's not going to be like your, your Chris Pratt's as Garfield, or as Mario, or anything like that, like, these guys are really going into it and they're going strong with the with the bonkers and the 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 voices and I'm so I love when a show really sticks to it like that and and really tries something daring like I like what they sound like I I know they it's probably not what we're used to with characters like oh hello or you know like but I appreciate that I think the show is going to be really fun now what we can tell from um what we're giving right um, it's gonna be, it's coming out on February 18th with, um, 12, 12 minute episodes. Um, so I guess you get, like, six, you get six made for television type episodes with, like, a 24 minute runtime or something like that. But they're quick. But that takes a lot of time. Like, when you make it right the way you did, like, I Love Smiling Friends, that was, what, that was 10? Um, 10? Yeah, 10, um, 
uh, like 10 minute, 12 minute episodes. And so I, I'm excited for something like this. So it's coming out February 18th from what we get from the series, like what we, from the show, it doesn't seem like it's going to follow too much of like the lore of the game, but I think it's going to be like the, the world it seems kind of like Cuphead and Mugman are just going to get themselves into hijinks each time. Probably in each episode, they will explore maybe one of the different locales from the show. Maybe they go to the circus and they fight off the, the, the clown balloon guy. Or they, they go to the big castle and they see the, the candy princess lady. I don't know their names. Um, oh, no, wait. It's Baroness Von Sweet. I know that one. I know that one is at least. Um, who else is on board? Um, Cosmos Sergerson. Um, I hope you're saying that, sorry that I'm saying your name wrong, Cosmo. Um, he's from, uh, <laughs> Rocco's Modern Life, if you know that, um, is serving, a, he's co-executive producing, and also, just most important to me, I always, they usually do this, and it's, it kind of varies how much involvement the people have, but the game creators, the original game creators, Chad and Jared Moldenhauer, are serving as executive producers. I don't know if they're writing it, I can't... No, it actually it doesn't look like they're going to be writing it. Um, Adam Poloian and Clay Morrow are directing, and then the writing credits are going to be split up between Wasson, um, Sergerson, uh, Morrow, Poloian, and uh, Deke Decky. Are and they're working in the writing team. And then Andrea Fernandez is serving as the art director, and the show's music is going to be from Er Ego Plum. Plum might be a bit of a question mark. I don't know how important the music is in a show to some people. For me, Cuphead is almost defined by its music. Um, because they didn't have any voice actors the first time around. So I think it's very important. Plum, it has a real record to it. He's done a lot of work on SpongeBob, and then he's done uh, movies like The Devil's Muse and The Ghastly Love of Johnny X, kind of campy type things. So it could work. Um, but Christopher Madigan was the original composer, and it's sad to not have him. We'll see. I don't know. It, it could be something. I'm just excited about Netflix bringing this to us. This is like one of the shows I've really been... Uh, I've been up for, and I hope you guys are too. Let's moving on. I've already been kind of in the Netflix streaming stuff already, but we're officially moving on to the Netflix streaming section to Disney and HBO and uh, and Hulu and all those all those uh, you know those titans of industry, if you will. And just a little bit of quick Disney news before we get to bigger Disney news. Um, we have news that David Derrick Jr. is set to direct Disney Moana's musical series, the musical Moana series. That's probably the bigger news, honestly. If you didn't know, uh, Moana is getting a musical series. It's going to be on Disney Channel. It's going to be on Disney+. Plus. And now you have David Derrick Jr., one of the original people working on a Moana, as the director. And he's working alongside uh, Oscar-nominated Moana producer Oz Not Sure. Oz not surer. Um, they're working together on this. They're both producing. David Derrick is directing. We don't know just what the story is yet. They're still in development on this one. But what we do know, which could be interesting, is that this is the first thing from the recently announced Walt Disney Animation Studio in Vancouver. Um, and they're going to be ramping up new staff as they're opening up in this year. So it could be this could be the starting place for a lot of newer folks that are going to be kind of making their way into the Disney complex and and bigger animators as time comes. It's a, it's worth it's worth checking out. Um, if you liked Moana a lot, this is going to be all those same characters. It's going to be new songs. I imagine it'll probably be a pretty big thing for the channel, especially because Moana was weirdly streamed a lot this last year. I think it was. There was some. Disney did really well. Netflix stock went down, but Disney went up. 
<laughs> I don't know why you needed to know that, but that's what we have. In bigger Disney news, fans of, I mean, if you like Disney shows, you probably already know this, but Disney's number one show is Big City Greens right now. And it is doing so well, in fact, that before the third season has even premiered, which happens on February 12th, um, it has already been uh, renewed for a fourth season, and it is getting a movie musical spinoff that will also be on Disney Channel and on Disney+. Plus. This isn't going to surprise anybody, but the Houghton brothers, both Shane and Chris, who created the show, will be directing the show. Um, they will be working alongside their writers, their writing team for this movie. Um, uh, but the movie also has uh, credits going to Michael Kuglin from The Muppets. Uh, he will be producing. Stephen Sandoval from Owl House is co-EPing. And Joaquin Horsley um, from Spirit Writing Free is composing. I haven't ever watched Big City Greens, um, but somebody must be, because with this, the fourth season, there's going to be more than 100 episodes of this thing tallying up. So people must like it out there. It's the number one show. So if you're listening to this and you are excited about this news and you didn't hear but you like the show, um, get excited. It's, got, it's, it's being developed right now. There will be a spinoff movie musical with these characters in this world. On the Netflix side of things, the word of the day, or I suppose the term of the day, is stop motion because Ardman Entertainment and Netflix have revealed that a new Wallace and Gromit film will come to us in 2024, and even sooner, a new Chicken Run sequel will be coming to us in 2023. Um, this is pretty exciting news if you like stop motion. This, is no, this isn't going to be the last time we talk about stop motion today. Also, just a little spoiler warning going forward. But if you are a fan of the OG guys, Ardman Entertainment, giving us their OG, <laughs> their OG uh, properties, Chicken Run and Wallace and Grummet, you should be very excited. Uh, Chicken Run 2, I'm going to talk about that one first because it's the one coming closer. Uh, Chicken Run 2, Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget is the official title, um, is being directed by Sam Fell. You guys know him from Flushed Away and Paranorman. He's an, he's an Ardman veteran, as you will. Um, and he is bringing us Ginger and Rocky again. If you remember, this is like going back to 2000, these characters. So we've, they've gotten rid of the, the old voice actors, but Ginger and Rocky are back. This time, instead of Julius Wahala and Mel Gibson, we have Fandy Newton and Zachary Levi, who I think are appropriate appropriate uh, dubs in. Uh, they seem like they could get those characters pretty well. The characters, so Ginger and Rocky, in this one, what we have so far of their story is that they have made a little island sanctuary for themselves. Out there, out past the world of chicken farming and whatnot, they are on their own, and they've had their own little baby. They have a little baby uh, chicken. They have a little baby chick named Molly, and while they're struggling to kind of bring up Molly the correct way, they uh, catch word of back in the homeland, back in the world of chicken farming, um, chickens are facing an even new existential threat. Um, we don't know if that means that the the lady, I forget what her name is, but the lady and her two henchmen are back and better than ever. I, I don't think they are, because they leave, and she doesn't she get turned into a pie? She gets cooked at the end of that. Sorry to, sorry to spoil a, <laughs> a 22-year-old movie. Um, but yeah, that's what happens at the end of Chicken Run. Um, but yes, so we have these characters. They're coming back. This seems like an appropriate way to bring these characters back into the limelight. I think going back and rescuing their friends, and, and it's going to feel like a return to form for them and for us.
On top of Newton and Levi, we have some other returning characters that uh, will reprise their roles. We have uh, Jane Herricks, uh, Imelda Stoughton, and Lynn Ferguson will reprise their roles as their characters Babs, Bunty, and Mac. And joining Levy and Newton, we have Josie Sedgwick-Davies, uh, David Bradley, Ramesh Raganathan. I, I hope I'm saying that right, Raganathan. And then Nick Muhammad and uh, Daniel Mays as characters uh, Fetcher and Dr. Fry. And then moving on from then, we have Nick Park, series creator of Wallace and Gromit, will come back for this next feature. He will direct, uh, it does not have a title yet, um, it's going to be exclusive to Netflix around the world, except for in UK, where it's going to initially air on BBC before making its way to the streaming platform. For the creative team, Nick Park is is directing, he's co-directing, I suppose, because um, he's sharing the position with creative director of Wallace and Gromit, Merlin Crossingham. So you've got two people, you've got the, the creative director of the series and the creator of the series. So you're in good hands with that. Mark Burton is giving us the script, which is great. He has given us all of our other great scripts from uh, Wallace and Gromit. He gave us Curse of the Were-Rabbit way back when. That was their first movie. Um, and the writing is already going. So with 2024 as the slated release, they gotta get they got to get moving because these things take a while. Um, we don't have a name again, but we do know what the movie is going to be about, supposedly. They've given us a little... Uh, line here, let me read it. It is Gromit's concern that Wallace has become over dependent on his inventions proves justified when Wallace invents a smart gnome that serves to develop a mind of its own. As events spiral out of control, it falls to Gromit to put aside his qualms and battle sinister forces, or Wallace may never be able to invent again. Uh, this is always, this is, I like that, I like the sound of that a lot, it feels, my personal favorite is the wrong trousers, I think that might be the case with a lot of people, um, and that feels very much in line with that kind of storytelling, um, I, I love when they focus on, on Wallace's inventions, I think those are great, and, like, when they go haywire or something like that, and so I can imagine, maybe similar in the sense, maybe I, I maybe we don't want it to be too similar, but I can imagine a great a great battle scene or action sequence with with Gromit facing off against a gnome. That seems very very similar to the the penguin from the wrong trousers. But I would be happy to see it. It's been so long. I would really enjoy anything from these guys. So especially them doing something that they do well again, I would be overjoyed. Moving right along, I'm already, I'm, I'm 20 minutes in and I haven't even gotten to anime yet. So moving right along, let's move into the anime section of things. The first thing that you want to pay attention to is video game lovers alike will be excited to see that Crunchyroll has dropped the trailer and release date for the Shenmue animated series. For people that don't know about Shenmue, which could be a lot of you, because it's an older game, but it is a very famous one. Um, it's one of Jap. It was one of the first kind of pioneers when it came to 3D storytelling in a game. And now looking back, you can play it, and you're like, "Oh, this game is a little boring." But I don't know. I feel like it, we owe a lot to what modern video games are because of a game like that. And so that's all to say, making it into an animated series seems like it would be the right move going forward. Since we can lean more into the storytelling, which was what made it great to begin with, and less in the gameplay, which is the thing that has maybe aged a bit. 
From the trailer and the brief blurb that they've given us, which I'll read to you in just a bit, um, it looks like it's a pretty strict adaption of the story. Um, if you don't remember the story, it was a it was a mystery. It was kind of a thriller noir type thing, but much more in a in a way that explored uh, martial arts and and Japanese culture. So here we have um, it's 1986. The main character, Ryo Hazuki, has trained to master the Hazuki-style jinsitsu under his strict father uh, in the Hazuki Dojo from his childhood. However, one day, a mysterious man named Lan Di murders his father and takes the mirror his father was protecting. Ryo is determined to find out the truth behind his father's murder, but soon enough finds himself getting stuck in a war between the underground organizations traveling from Yo uh, Yokosuka to Hong Kong. Ryo's long journey begins. So it's very much in the same vein as the game. But that's what I think people really wanted. The animation looks great. The action looks real. I mean, it's it's kind of thrilling to see these fights that you played when, at least I played a while ago, um, that were very kind of clunky. I'm really, I'm really railing on this game. It's not, it, it's a good game, I promise. Um, these ga these fights, like, played out in really kind of glorious anime fighting. It's going to be shown on um, Toonami, on Adult Swim, in North America, and then Crunchyroll everywhere else. It will be um, streamed with subtitled versions, but there is going to be... There is going to be a um, English cast. Yeah, we have an, e an English dub. We have the whole cast. I'm not going to read all of them to you, but I'll read maybe the, the like main ones. So um, in the Japanese version, uh, Masaya Matsuzuke, uh, Matsukazi is going to be playing Ryo Hazuki, and in English, it's going to be Austin Tyndall, and then Lon D is going to be played by Takahiro Sakura, Sakurai um, on um, in, Jap in J Japan, and then Scott Gibbs in English. And then there's a whole bunch of other characters that you're going to recognize or you might not from the show. I think people should be really excited about this one. This is... Look, video game adaptions aren't always great, but if there was ever a game that was screaming out for an anime version of itself, it is Shenmue. So I think we should all be very excited. It's coming to us soon. It's coming February 5th. So get your, keep your eyes out for it. It's just two weeks away for anime fans. Um, and it's been long awaited. We're gonna be we're gonna be excited for it. At least I will be. Um, okay, in other anime news. Um, maybe you're not so much of a video game guy, after all. Maybe you'd like some sports or something rough and tough, an, an, an anime that's going to put some hair on your chest. <laughs> um, well, in that case, you can look no further than our next piece of news, as this week we got a teaser trailer for, um, and, and a release month. Okay, we got a teaser trailer and a release month for Bakutan, or, um, uh, Backflip, Rhythm Gymnastics. <laughs> The movie finale to the anime series of the same name following a male gymnastics team. Really something to get your blood pumping and hair on your chest, huh? Um, for those of you who don't know Backflip, it's spelled with two exclamation points at the end, so you know it's going to be pretty exciting. The series is about Shitoro Futaba, um, a student with a dream of taking his high school rhythmic gymnastics team all the way to the big leagues, and after a season that premiered last April and then concluded in mid-June, this film will depict the team's final challenge at, the, uh, at an inter-high tournament. The film is going to be directed by Tashimasa Kuroyanagi. Um, hope I'm saying that right. I felt pretty good about that when I said it. And the script is coming from uh, Toshizo um, Namoto with uh, much of the regular stars cast um, from, the, you know, they, were, they are reprising their roles for the most part. 
Um, so if you want to know what happens to your favorite team of flamboyant acrobats, you will get your conclusion this coming July 2022. I don't really know what a, um, rhythmic gymnastics team entails. I'm not sure if it's dancing or if it's, if it's acrobatics. It seems like something from the trailer, they're doing a lot of flips and whatnot. It seems kind of like, I don't know, maybe I'm dating myself with this, but like King of Tennis or, um, what was that one with the, oh, like Free? Where it was like, yeah, it seems very free with the, the, the all the swim team. Kind of like an incarnation of that, perhaps. Um, okay, but we're moving right along. We're, let's move on into animation around the world, baby. We don't have too much, which is okay, because I'm running late anyway. But I do have one story for you from India, and it's a story that I probably could have predicted, I think. If you go far enough back in my videos, I said that there was going to be a boom of new adult animation um, in India, since it was a developing market and they really want to, want to kind of build on all cylinders there. Um, and what do you know? Um, this last week, we got news that Q Kahanian will air animation aimed at the age group of 15 to 35 on the newest channel from QU Media. This probably doesn't seem like a bold prediction on my part. I'll take it anyway, but it's kind of, it's kind of fairly intuitive that a country that's developing its animation style would eventually start developing something for adult animation and young, and young adults kind of in the vein of what we talk about, what awesome of our favorite shows like Rick and Morty and Bojack and things like that geared more towards, uh, you know, a not child friendly audience. QU Media has already given us a lot of animated shows. Um, some of them are child-friendly, some of them aren't. Um, this is dedicated... Q Kahanian is going to be solely dedicated to this age group of 15 to 35. It's not totally clear what kind of content it's going to be, if it's going to be most, mostly horror or comedy. We have some horror clips, um, at least from the animation that we've seen, but that seems to be, like, just pulling from what they already have. And it's also not clear what the animation style is going to be like. A lot of it looks pretty, like, early Flash, um, which is fine. Like, a lot of really fun... Bojack was made with Flash. So that would be... That's perfectly fine. I think it's still kind of wearing in its shoes a little bit when it comes to what it's going to look like and what style it is. But, you know, it's great that they're bu building this. India is one of the fastest growing markets for um, for animation and smart TVs and and, um, and just, just TV in general. It's such a booming market right there. So I think this makes a lot of sense. I'm pretty sure this is all in development right now. I don't think we have a release date just yet, but... Regardless, we're wishing Q Kahanian the very best, because you don't know, this might be the next, the next stage of great adult animation. It could be coming from places like this, where the precedent just isn't set yet. I think it's an exciting time for an Indian animation fan. Moving right along into news for people who don't trust the internet and would rather buy discs and download films in the world of home video and digital HD releases, uh, I have just a little bit of news. After having spoke about it for what seems like m weeks on end, because it's literally the only thing I have had to talk about in this category, we finally saw the release of the Addams Family 2 movie on Blu-ray and HD download. <laughs> I'm not going to bother telling you what it's about since everybody knows at this point it's just the movie where they go on a road trip. So if you'd like to finally own this on Blu-ray, you now can. I hope you set it up very nicely for yourself. I, you know what? I hope it's the only Blu-ray you buy this year and you keep it on a little shelf in a glass box. <laughs> 
I hope you're not even watching it at that point. You just have it. <laughs> okay, okay. But if Adam's Family isn't your vibe, um, which I, it might not be, I've got an alternative. As next week, you can buy a copy of the English version of Birds Like Us, the 2017 Bosnian computer animated movie about birds directed by Farouk Sabanovic and Amelia Kuhara. Um, it stars Alicia Vikander, Jeremy Irons, and Sheridan Smith. And from a brief description that I can find, it seems to be about a group of birds trying to find better lives outside of the clutches of an evil condor. I had never heard of it. I imagine you guys have probably never heard of it either. But if you want to buy it, <laughs> you can buy it on Blu-ray and HD download now. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, okay, now for what you're really here for, the review. The review of, if since we're talking about spooky things, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about Adam's Family 2 and Birds Like Us, Bosnian films, um, it's only right that we review Hotel Transylvania 4, Transfermania. Um, out of the way, the general uh, statistics here, uh, it's directed by Derek Dryman and Jennifer Kluska. Um, it's written by Amos Vernon, Nunzio Randazzo, and Gendi Tartakovsky. Uh, Tartakovsky also has a story credit for this because it is his, these are his characters, these are his, this is his style, this is his IP. It's being produced, or was produced, by Alice Dewey Goldstone, and it stars a whole cast, you probably already know them at this point, but uh, Andy Sandberg, Selena Gomez, Catherine Hahn, Jim Gaffigan, Steve Buscemi, uh, Molly Shannon, David Spade, Keegan-Michael Key. And also a newly minted Brian Hull as, uh, as Dracula. They replaced Adam Sandler in this one. I guess he didn't want to do it anymore. Um, which, uh, kind of is the pervasive feeling throughout this. Brian Hull is great. He does a really, he does a really good job. Um, I'm not here to, I'm not here to put him down. He's doing a very good job in a story that kind of left him behind. But let me, let me, before I get too ahead of myself, I'm coming into Transylvania, uh, Transformania. Please, I have to be specific here. I'm coming into Transformania in a pretty unique situation. That being, I haven't watched a Hotel Transylvania movie since the first one came out. Um, so I've only seen the first one. When I rem what I remember from my experience is that I left having thoroughly enjoyed the signature Tartakovsky style, excited where the director might go next with his next thing now that he had kind of a big league audience in the mainstream, but thinking that the movie was relatively light on story. The film itself serving much more as a playground for its animators. After seeing nothing of the next two movies other than trailers, I'm leaving the fourth installment relatively surprised and not exactly in a good way. It seems as though without anyone to really without anything to really prove, the the film series has since become something of a reliable EP in children's entertainment after all. The animators um the animators have gone way overboard with the style and the story is as bare bones as it ever was. Let's talk about it briefly. There isn't a ton of plot in Transformania, the gist of it being um, Dracula intends to retire, hoping to leave the hotel in the capable hands of his daughter Mavis, the, the only hitch to that being that it also means that her human husband Johnny has control of it as well. In a last-minute pivot from his retirement announcement, Dracula lies to Johnny, saying that, the on that only a monster can own Hotel Transylvania. In a desperate attempt to appeal to his father-in-law, Johnny enlists Van Helsing, uh, voiced by Jim Gaffigan, um, 
and his new invention, not Jim Gaffigan's invention, uh, Van Helsing's invention, um, it can, uh, enlists Van Helsing's invention to turn him into a dragon. Um, hijinks ensue, Dracula ends up turning himself into a human, along with his fellow hotel regulars, that being the mummy, the blob, the Frankenstein, the wolfman, the invisible man, those guys, um, and they must go on a quest to turn themselves back. I actually went into this movie more excited than I anticipated being, which is weird. I like story devices like these where uh, a cast finds themselves in a new, fresh circumstances that highlights new aspects of their personas. I think movies or episodes of television like these give writers the opportunity to explore their characters. Unfortunately, it's quickly apparent that the movie doesn't intend to explore anything uh, about what it might mean for these characters to suddenly be humans or for the monsters, to, the humans to suddenly be monsters outside of very surface level gags. Um, from my own perspective, it seems crazy that all these movies later, the relationship between Dracula and Johnny has not evolved in the slightest. Like, I don't remember the first movie perfectly, but the way these two characters interact from the most of this film, you would have thought that they were just meeting all over again. I get that the core dynamic doesn't have to change too much, but, you know, Drac is always going to be annoyed by Johnny, and that's fine, but geez, Johnny has been married to the guy's daughter for what must be years now, and he's the father of Dracula's grandson, why do we still need a movie about them learning to get along? That was the whole plot of the first one. Okay, because the movie is so light on narrative substance, right, it often feels like the animators and the animation is now trying to distract away from a boring story and less of a sandbox for the animators to play around with, right? There are so, so, so many montages and sequences that are admittedly fun to watch. Tartakovsky's movement is some of the most specific and intoxicating in to watch in the game right now, but they really don't serve any point outside of being a brief aside from any kind of plot. It also feels like they doubled down on visual gags, so much so that the, that watching the characters simply try to communicate is overwhelming at times. There are moments where practically every syllable has a different extreme facial expression, and what starts out as charming quickly turns into, wow, Dracula is having some sort of aneurysm. <laughs> and look... Hotel Transylvania was never supposed to tell a big story. It was, again, always just there for the animators to have fun with. But when the animation itself is now trying to hold up the story, right? When, the, when there's so little going on that the animation has, like, double responsibility, it feels like they can't have as much fun as they normally do. Also, while we're on the subject of Dracula having an aneurysm, this movie really falls into straight man character torture trap. You know, like, I'll explain. Like, not straight as in sexuality, but like playing the straight man to the, the wacky guys. Um, once Johnny and Dracula are on the road adventuring, the film cannot, cannot go three minutes without blinding, crushing, smacking, or just generally outright attacking Dracula with the elements. It feels parallel to some, in some ways to the to the worst modern SpongeBob episodes where a naive and optimistic Johnny, i.e. SpongeBob, gleefully ignores the absolutely horrific body mutilation that the straight man Dra Dracula or Squidward is subjected to. The joke is quickly 
pretty boring, and it makes us not like Johnny, as he's not doing anything to help this person who he thinks is at least trying to help him. We know that Dracula is not a great guy. He lies, he doesn't really like his stepson, but also his stepson is kind of annoying, and I get why he doesn't like him, because right now he's not doing anything to help him. Also, this is just a general note, um... I was, I really wish that the whole group of monsters went on the adventure together, you know? They've done that every time, they all went on the cruise together. I didn't watch that one, but I knew they all went on it. This movie felt like it was screaming out for something like that. It, like, it eventually happens, where they all come together to go on the, they journey through the thing in the last act, but it's not until after 50 minutes of Dracula and Johnny hanging out and not getting along. So, okay, is there anything I do like about Transformania? Well, Van Helsing. I like Van Helsing a lot. He's by far my favorite character. I don't remember him being in the first one, but um, if he was, I don't remember him. There's a brief sequence where we see him move through his lab, and it, it showcases the best of what Hotel Transylvania does. That fantastic movement, those sequences where it feels like they're having fun, they're exploring something. It's not overdone, it's just the right amount. And also, I just really like his design. It feels new and weird and really funny to see him just be this, like a couple of human features, a head and some hands on a dusty machine that always has a new gadget or something. The way he stretches his head out, it's kind of like Inspector Gadget to pull from the gadget I just said. But also, bet I don't know, it's really cool. I haven't seen something like that in animation before. Um, there's also a really fantastic action sequence at the end of the movie where all the characters work together to save the day. It's really, really cool and innovative, the idea. Um, if you've watched it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but it made me frustrated, right? Because I knew if they had just put them together in the journey from the first place, we would have, we, we wouldn't have, we've gotten a whole movie worth of moments like that. So it's really annoying at the end of the day. <laughs> Look, Transformania is harmless, in conclusion, right? But the series and its characters feel very tired to me. I'm not sure if the same can be said for its creative team, but this film seems very much like the zombies that roam the hall of the hotel. I'm gonna give it a 2 out of 5, and if you ask me, I'm being pretty generous there. Not to be too mean, but uh, that's what I feel. But... Spe you know, keeping in the same vein as horror and spooky. If you want something that comes, that pulls from those that, um, that you might like, that I'm going to recommend to you, please do yourself a favor and watch The House. Oh, wow. Oh, boy. Okay, I'll get it out of the way. It's directed by uh, Emma DeSwaif, Mark James Rolls, Nikki Lindroff von Barr, and Paloma Baez. Um, the first part, because there's three parts of this, right? It's three stories collected within one movie. The first part is directed by Emma DeSwaif and Mark James Rolls. The second part is Nikki Lindroff. And the third one is Paloma Baez. All of the stories are written by, um, the script is written for all of them by Enda, uh, Enda Walsh, though each of the directors gets a story credit. There's a huge cast. I'll read some of the, I'll read the highlights here. Uh, it's starring Mia Goth, Claude Blakely, Matthew Good, Mark he Heap, uh, Miranda Richardson, Steve, uh, Stephanie Cole, Jarvis Cocker, uh, Dizzy Rascal, Will Sharp, Paul Kay, Susanna Wacoma, and Helena Bonham Carter. What, I don't even know where to begin from this, besides just right off the bat, uh, if I were to do a top 10 for this year, uh, this is 
absolutely in my... I I cannot foresee this not being in the top for me. This movie is so, so exciting and innovative. I love that it has that... I mean, it comes from a place, and it could just be the style, but it is scary, it is disturbing, it is heartwarming... The, it feels like these directors poured their guts into this movie, and it's made out of felt and string and straw, and the, this, it, this, it just feels like the kind of thing that it's a miracle it got made, and we're so, so lucky for it. I'm going to take you one by one through each of the stories very quickly. The first story is about a family. Um, it's uh, it's set in the kind of the first construction of this house. Each of the stories have to do, they're set in this one house. It's a big foreboding square of a building that has a labyrinth type inside. Um, in the first one, you see it be constructed. It's kind of this man, He's um, he's got a little family. It's in like the 1800s, I believe. He's kind of living in squalor. He wants to impress his family that looks down on him. So he makes a sort of deal with the devil type situation and decides to move his family into a house that is constructed for them and quite literally constructed for them is the great way, not to give away too much, but it is so, so cool to look at. The The way that the the characters move, it feels like the like it could be limited, right? Because it's... They're, they can't express too much. There's, it's stop-motion animation. They can't move too much, but they play to that with their strengths. They make it that this family isn't able to communicate with one another very well. They play into the emotional side of that, and that is so cool. They have these moments with the little girl in the family that you just feel, you feel so scared for her. As she wanders through this giant house with all these creepy little elements about it. I can't I can't sing its praises enough. And then you have the second one, which out of the three, I can't even play favorites, but the third the second one is so good. It's just absolutely disturbing. Um in a in a terrible like if you don't want to I should probably preface this, if you don't like horror, you probably shouldn't watch it. But even if you don't, there's something that you can find in this that if you're willing to kind of put yourself out there, it there's something in it that's worth worth it to me. So, in the second one, it's uh, it's set in the modern day. Now you switch over and you have the, the characters are all portrayed by mice. Um, still in that kind of puppet, calico critter-esque style, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, but he's a mouse and he's trying to flip the house. He's trying to renovate it and make it better so he can sell it and make a fortune off of it. Um, he's obsessed. He's neurotic. He's spending... He's lived there for... He's worked on it for years and he's living in like the... The in the innards of it, because he doesn't want to he doesn't want to put anything out of place when he finally sells it. He, his obsession goes so far that it's almost scary in and of itself. And then when he goes to sell the place, he has these two people that come to the open house and they won't leave. And I don't want to say any more than that, but they the the design of them is so smart. And then the fact that their mice is played into, it's so smart. I, it makes me mad how smart and clever and exciting this story is. Um, and then you have the third one, right? Which isn't as scary. So if you don't like scary stuff, you should probably watch the third one. Um, but it's got, it just oozes melancholy in a fantastic way. This time they're all cats. The, it's the future. The world has, 
It's, it hasn't ended, but it's gone awry for certain. The house is the only thing left standing in a ocean of flooded environments. Everything is just collapsed. The water is slowly rising throughout the story. And all this woman does, she, this cat, she's a landlady, and she's got these tenants that can't afford to pay her. And, and the house is slowly crumbling and collapsing around her. Um, and she's just obsessed with the dream of making this something that it can't be anymore. And you slowly start to see her, like, realize that, and it's just so, it's the perfect ending. It's so smart how they have this, how they find horror in the, in the construction of the house, and then the renovation of the house, and then the eventual collapse of the house. It's so, it works on so many different levels. I know I can probably sound like a lunatic right now, but I cannot tell you how effective this story is. I don't know what kind of response people are having to it. I think, I think it's pretty critically acclaimed, but because it's coming so early in the year, I'm sure it will be left out of awards discussion later on, which is a huge shame because I cannot imagine something beating this right now. I just, I think it's so good. I, and especially looking at this year's slate, I don't know, maybe Strange World from Disney might, like, change things for me, but this, right now, it's got my, it's got my name written all over it. I just think these directors did such a great job. I cannot sing their praises enough. I really can't. Um, I'd give it a, I'd give it a five out of five. Honestly, there's not anything that I can think that I didn't like about this. Maybe if I were to go back and rewatch it, I can't think of anything. I really did. I'm so blown away by this movie. Um, I and. I think that's the first five out of five I've given to a movie. I gave five out of five to Tear Along the Dotted Line. Um, so this is this would be the first movie that I would do. Um, okay, I'll finish it up here. But before I do, I want to give it a I want to give a, a little bit of a, a personal update for the show. As we reach 150, I have some news myself, which is pretty exciting. Um, this, I won't go too much into it, but I've gotten the opportunity, as you can probably tell, I am, <laughs> I obviously like animation a lot. I work in animation, I've been developing my own animations for a while. I'm not gonna do, this isn't, the show isn't about me, it's about the news and about animation. But now I am at a crossroads right now, where I've been presented an opportunity that I can continue forward and developing, or... Um, I can stick around here and, and, and play it safe and, and do some my how my life has been continually going with my day job and working on this in the, in the evenings. Or I can pursue what has always been my, uh, you know, my dream is making an animated light, an animation like this that someone like me would eventually be talking about. Um, and I have some opportunities that have just come up in this new year. I've been developing them kind of quietly. And now... Um, I have reached a point where I am going to kind of start pursuing these full time. And because this show I do out of the, you know, I do out of the passion that I have for animation there, you know, I'm not getting paid. Nobody gets paid to do these shows on Filmbook, I don't think. Um, but right now I don't have time to do both the way that I would like to. So um, I'm not saying this is forever, but it might be a break from me doing the animation podcast. I know it was a very short run, and I really did enjoy 
all of this stuff. And I'm not saying that this is forever. I might there might come a time where I can come back and and pick up where I left off. I'm I'm talking like I have tons of fans out here. What I really uh, you know I I I think we're pretty lucky when we get <laughs> when we get a couple hundred viewers on these. Um, but that being said, each one of those views meant something to me, and each one of those comments meant something to me, and the likes and all that stuff. That really that really was important. And I'm just, I'm sad that I can't keep doing it, but I have to, I have to dedicate moving forward to this because this is what I want to do. This is what I've dreamed of doing and I, I'm going to pursue it. So I just wanted to give you a brief little, you know, a brief farewell and an explanation for maybe what might be a hiatus on the show. We, we at Filmbook are continuing this. We want to do the animation podcast I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I know everybody that I've talked to intends on continuing it. It's just finding the people that have the ability and the time to keep it going. Um, I would love to help however I can when I have time, but um, right now I just... You guys need a certain quality in these videos, and I can't give it to you the way it's the way my schedule is going to be pointed. Um, so that being said... Thank you all for watching from the bottom of my heart. It really means a lot. I will give you one last um, sign-off before, um, before I disappear and perhaps come back, but we'll, we shall see. But thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this episode of the Animation Podcast. Be sure to like this episode and subscribe. You can find more of my work on Filmbook. That's film-book.com. Just search Ephraim Bernie or the Animation Podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Frumblers or on Instagram at Ephraim underscore Burning. You can also, also, I never advertise this, but I have, um, I have some YouTube channels that I've also, that I help produce that have, that are, um, kind of coming about. Um, we've got an animated feature that's been in a film festival that's about to happen, and that will be up the, on there. But if you want, you could follow and subscribe to Bellhop Productions on YouTube. Also on Instagram, it's the same handle both ways. Um, if you would like to contact us, you can email us at filmbook at, well, you can email us at podcast at film-book.com with the animation podcast in the subject line. You can tune in next week or relatively soon for the latest episode of the animation podcast and all things animation. Thank you for listening. I'll see you then. All right. And bring me, bring me out one last time. Animation man, bring it on home. Thanks for listening to the animation podcast. Find more of the animation podcast on Filmbook on your favorite podcast service and on YouTube.